The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We are going to talk about a lot today. We have a large show. We are going to discuss why the Packers do not need to be great right now. We will react to the shocking Paul Chris firing, but why it makes sense, why it's not like Frank Solich at Nebraska. We'll dig into that little research, little fact check for the people. Then we'll pop back over the Packers, do some star ratings. Then we will talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and what a disappointment this weekend was. And that'll be today's show. It's going to be a long one. I hope you guys are ready for it. It's going to be great. And let's dive into it. Before we do, you know the deal. You got to follow us on social media, Tammy Keg on Twitter, Tammy Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. I may, may have some memorabilia stuff to give away on Twitter. Yeah, I think we'll do Twitter. Might do Instagram. Um, just some things to kind of bump up the... You know, if you follow, retweet, the whole thing, you get this thing. So I have a bunch of memorabilia um, sitting in boxes right now waiting to determine where it goes in my quote-unquote man cave. I think the term man cave gets overused. Um, I am currently battling with the idea of where to put all my shit, um, which we can definitely do a truck's corner on that because sometimes I use this podcast as therapy because I don't actually go to a therapist. So maybe we'll... uh, Maybe we'll do that tomorrow uh, if we have time. But yeah, we I will talk a lot more about that. Anyways, uh, also make sure that you are following us, uh, subscribed, uh, rate, review, the whole thing. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of reviews come in. You know what? Just do us a solid. If you say you're a big fan, if you haven't actually reviewed us, you are not a big fan, okay? And if you do review us, I, I will do something for you. I, but you have to actually show me that you're going to review if you review the pod, you show me, you show me it, you screenshot it. I'll do something for you. And what that thing, what that thing may be, you just have to wait and find out. That's the fun part about it. All right, let's waste some more time because we don't have a ton of it, and let's go over a wild weekend in football as well as sports in the state of Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers snaked one out. They won twenty-seven to twenty-four in overtime. It was a gritty, gutty win for the Green Bay Packers. A lot of people talked about how the Green Bay Packers do not have great mental toughness. They don't have the mental fortitude to hang in when things get rough. A lot of the same criticism has been said about the Buffalo Bills, right? 0-7 in their last one-score games, and the Buffalo Bills then next week come back from 17 down against the Baltimore Ravens and win on the road in a very impressive victory for Buffalo. But we're not here about Buffalo. It's not Buffalo podcast. What I'm saying is that narratives can change quickly. And the Green Bay Packers right now, you know, get a win that maybe they shouldn't have. Uh, You know, the New York Patriots played a lot better than the Green Bay Packers. But the Packers found a way late and pulled another game out of their ass. And right now, the Packers aren't great. And Aaron Rodgers said as much. Aaron Rodgers said that the way we're winning is not sustainable. He's absolutely right. As Justice Moscata pointed out, the Green Bay Packers have only scored 75 points. This is the lowest scoring Packer team in the first four games since the 1978 Packers. I couldn't tell you anything about the 78 Packers. Not a damn thing, okay? So Green Bay Packers do need to pick it up offensively. But what the cool thing is, is that the Packers do not need to be great right now. Being great right now means absolutely nothing when it comes to January and February. 
being great right now gets all the attention, gets you on TikTok, gets you on Instagram, gets people getting on your bandwagon, but it doesn't mean that it's going to result in a championship. We've heard all the time about teams who've won the October or the September championships. Look at Arizona, right? Arizona was a team that was great early on in the season last year, and then it fell apart like a house of cards. Now, granted, I think some of that was due to the DeAndre Hopkins suspension, but still, Arizona is not the team that I think a lot of people thought they could be last year around this time. Right now, everybody is, I wouldn't say filleting the Eagles, but a lot of people are on the Eagles' barren. Only undefeated team left are 4-0. But what I would ask you is, is anybody great right now? Not to say that the NFL is mediocre, but it's not necessarily been a great start. Like, there is a lot of averageness in the NFL, and, and it's actually okay. It makes it more exciting. I think every week... We do not know what is going to happen. The Green Bay Packers were the only team that was favored by more than seven points in this this week. If you go on gambling lines, and I know gambling stuff gets overdone, but to me that speaks to what what we have right now in our league. The Falcons were a one point fa- one point dog against the Cleveland Browns at home. Like, and I told you guys on Friday when we were talking the betting show, I was like, I, I kind of like the Falcons. And I thought the Packers were in cover. I was way fucking wrong on that. I was wrong on everything that I think I suggested. Um, I think even the T's would have caught whatever. It was bad. It was just bad, okay? Um, I was better on other things, transparently. But you, but you get my point. Like, no one's great right now. If we just go into the NFC, if we just look at the NFC, we're not even going to look at the AFC. And I'll just, I'll just say as a quick aside, some people could say, oh, yeah, Buffalo looked great. In weeks one and two. Yeah, they look like fucking world beaters. They looked awesome. Then they look like shit in week three. They gutted out a win in week four. You could probably say Buffalo is great, right? But I think there are still a lot of flaws with that team. Kansas City looked great last night against Tampa Bay. But Kansas City looked awful uh, the week before. So how can you... And they didn't really look that great against the Chargers. Again, if it's not for a 100-yard pick six... On Justin Herbert, the Chiefs are probably saddled with two losses already. So I kind of do not want to hear this idea that anybody is great. And if we go to the NFC, where it matters, yeah, Philly's playing good football right now. But what's your favorite Philadelphia win? They beat an upstart Jacksonville team, who I think might be there at the end. They, and they came back. They were down 14-0 early. They came back. They won that football game. That was that was good on good on Philadelphia altogether. And covered the spread, mind you. Uh, then you had, they beat the Detroit Lions, who can't stop a fucking sneeze. Um, and they gave up, they scored 38, but they also gave up 35 to that Lions team, who's playing like Texas Tech of the Big 12 circa Michael Leach era. Uh, you also, who else did the Eagles beat? The Eagles beat the Commanders, who I, I told you guys on Friday, I thought are the worst team in football. I still believe that. Like, I, I think the Commanders are awful. Like, uh, Commanders-Bears is the Thursday night game next week. What a shit game. Like, that is, that is pull your eyes out. Like, that's just, like, do something else. Like, football isn't that important. I know Big Cat will say, oh, it's a bite of the sandwich. No, you don't, you just do something with your wife. 
do something with your significant other. Actually, my wife's going to be in New York. So I think I'll end up – but that's like, okay, I get caught up on House of Dragon. I think playoff baseball will be rolling on. So I'm I'm not watching Commanders and Bears. Just not going to do it. Uh, and then uh, what's – who's so who's the other Eagles team? I've tracked off here. The Eagles – who else they beat? Oh, the Minnesota Vikings. And the Minnesota Vikings, you can put in the conversation, they're 3-1. and one. But I, I, I look at that and I'm like, okay – they also didn't score in the second half. Like, if the Minnesota Vikings had a better offense, they might come back and win that football game. Kirk Cousins definitely had opportunities. And Minnesota isn't great. Minnesota is about as fraudulent of a three-win team as the New York Giants right now. Like, I don't buy into anything that Minnesota's about. They're 3-1, and one, but they have, again, kind of got by the skin of their teeth. And you look at the other teams. Like, Dallas, okay, you're 3-1, and one, But you beat the Giants, you beat the Commanders, the Bengals, nice win. And their pass rush is fucking nasty. And they have a good defense. But again, like, let's see it against the Rams next week. That'll be a really good test. And the Rams, I don't, are Rams good? Like, nearly get backdoored by the Falcons. They're two-point dogs tonight against San Francisco. Another team that you could wonder, how great are they? Am I supposed to believe Seattle's actually good? I'll tell you what. Seattle might be a playoff team. Like, you need seven playoff spots, and Seattle Seattle might be that seventh team. Big, big time, you in theory, with Russell Wilson. If they might have, Bill Simmons might need to rename the you in theory. It might have to be the Russell Wilson theory going forward. Like, that's, oh, it's just crazy, man. Geno Smith lit it up today. Again, Lions, team who can't stop anybody. Tampa Bay, am I supposed to believe Tampa Bay is great? They just gave 41 to the Chiefs. They couldn't score against a good Packers defense. Tampa looked a little bit better offensively, but their defense looked like a sieve. So this is all to say that, yes, the Green Bay Packers need to improve. They need to get better. But being great right now kind of fits the trend of the NFL. The Packers are just falling in line. It's like they're joining Be Real right now like everybody else in society. They're joining in on the trend. They're not away from the fray. And we're not, we don't have to worry about the Giants game being a must win. Granted, you need to take care of business when it looks like Davis Webb is going to be starting at quarterback. And then on top of that, you have the Jets the following week. And then the Commanders, we've already went over. Like this is the time to get right for the Green Bay Packers. This is a, the time to start looking the part. And if Green Bay still doesn't look the part and they still kind of do this the next three weeks where they win or maybe they stub their toe on one of these games and lose, I'm going to have serious questions about this team and, and can they level up? But I still, I see the makings of a good team. They ran the fuck out of the football today. There is stuff to like wide receiver wise. Defensively, the pass rush was good. Joe Barry is just way too stuck in his schemes. And I I really need Joe Barry to kind of be a little more innovative. Like Joe Barry is like hard and fast. This is what we are going to do. And it made no sense that the Green Bay Packers were playing too safety deep when Bill Belichick was all doing was running football. That's all they were doing. And you didn't put an extra guy in the box for God knows what fucking reason. Joe Barry worries me. Like it, he's pitched two really good games and he's pitched two really shitty games. Today was awful. Like to me, today was almost worse than Minnesota because Minnesota, you got beat by a guy who's probably a top five wide receiver in Justin Jefferson. 
I can kind of live with that. Like, if you're just the best player on the field, you're just the best player on the field, right? That happens. You get beat by that sometimes. I would, I don't, I wouldn't go as far to call it an outlier game as we love to do with the NBA. But yeah, there are some times where you just get beat by a guy who's having an otherworldly performance. Today, that wasn't the case. Like, Ramondre Stevenson and Damon Harris were good. Yes, true. But at the same point, I, I don't look at that and say, okay, those guys were so much better than what Green Bay was showing defensively. It was just Joe Barry pitched an awful game and decided not to adjust at all. That worries me going forward. I hope that Joe Barry kind of figures that out. And I hope that that is not going to be something that continually plagues the Green Bay Packers. But right now, they are a good team that can be a great team, but they don't have to be great right now. That's the message I think that we should all take away from week four. Let's move on and talk about Paul Crist. It may be the best news dump of the year. The Wisconsin Badgers fired Paul Crist with two minutes left to go in a very close Packer game. I think it was a tied Packer game, actually. I've never seen a news dump that good. I really haven't. Like, that is elite. Like, you are never going to see a news dump better than that. That the Badgers just wait until everybody's eyes are focused on the Packers and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, we fired a coach. <laughs> you can't tell me that wasn't planned. So Paul Chris leaves. A lot of people are stunned in the media. The media is going nuts about this. The media hasn't paid attention to Wisconsin football in the last three years. They're like, whoa, they fired Paul Christ. It's like they can't believe it's happening. And it's like, did you, did you guys watch this team? Like, we talked about it a couple weeks ago after the Washington State loss, where we said that, you know, the Badgers do not look like they are in this generation of college football. They look like they're a step behind. And the Wisconsin administration obviously feels the exact same way. And the boosters feel the exact same way. And to me, this is actually a very smart firing, okay? And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But with the Open, I mentioned the fact that a lot of people were like, oh, this is Frank Solich at Nebraska. Like, they don't know what they have till it's gone, which, yes, that could happen. But there is some revisionist history. The Badgers were never as good as Solich's Nebraska teams, okay? Like, a couple fun facts for you here that I pulled. They got to the nine. They would have been in the nineteen ninety nine playoff. Coincidentally enough, Wisconsin would have also been there. Nebraska finished third behind Florida State and Virginia Tech. I believe Nebraska. They weren't undefeated. I think they had one loss that season, but they weren't able to finish the deal with an Eric Crouch led team. They end up winning the I believe Festival Bowl against Tennessee that year. Two thousand Nebraska. They are preseason number one under Solich. They lose to Oklahoma, bitter rival. Uh, Oklahoma ends up going on to winning the national championship. 2001, they lose to Colorado, get absolutely shit-pumped by Colorado. I vaguely remember this. I was in middle school at the time, 2001. And they get just blown up. And then no one can hold down the second spot because this was when the BCS was just starting. No one can hold it down. Tennessee, I believe, had a chance to. They lose, or Florida had a chance. They lose to Tennessee. Then Tennessee loses to LSU in the SEC championship game. And then they decide to give it to Nebraska, even though Colorado had won the Big 12 title over Texas a couple days before that. 
they spurned Colorado for Nebraska. Why? Because they probably wanted Miami, Nebraska, because that would draw the biggest seats. But the computers somehow put Nebraska ahead of Colorado and Oregon. I forgot that it was a computer. I said the people, no. I forgot that we didn't have a committee at that point, that it was computers. The computers somehow thought Nebraska was still better than Colorado. Colorado got punished for losing in week zero, basically, against Fresno State, which is crazy, which they never should have got punished for. They had two losses. They also lost Texas middle of the year. But again, they avenged their loss. Like in the normal format that we have now, Nebraska would have been in there against that Miami team, but they would have played them in the semifinals. And then Colorado would have played Oregon, who they played in round, and they lost actually. So that Oregon team was great. Like that's Joey Harrington team, Montero Smith. Shout out the Wizenator. But anyway, so Frank Solich. Okay, first three years of Frank Solich. He gets them nearly to the doorstep of the national championship. He they would have lost that Florida State team. That was the Peter Ward, Chris Winkie, Florida State. No one was fucking with that Florida State team. That Florida State team is probably one of the best teams of all time. Okay, but anyways, regardless, 2000, preseason number one, base clear at the doorstep. They finish, I think they, they still finish in the top 10, and Oklahoma wins, wins the title. 2001, they get to the title game, even though it probably shouldn't have got to the title game, but then they they lose, you know, they lose that game as well to Miami. They, they do not belong on the same field as that awesome 2001 Miami team. Again, no one was beating that Miami team that year. Then in 2002, he goes 7-7. Seven and seven. That's not ideal, obviously. Not going to get it done. And then the following year, they have a couple more embarrassing losses, and he gets fired after 9-3. and three. And then they are 8-3, and three, excuse me. They would win the Alamo Bowl the fo- that following year. So you look at that, and you're like, okay, how is this similar to Paul Chris? Like, if we're going to do a side-by-side there, Like, that would mean that Paul Chris got to the college football playoff in the last three years. If I check my notes, he hasn't even sniffed it, right? Like, ever since the COVID year, it has been a downhill stream of shit for the Wisconsin Badgers. And they haven't been able to recruit offensive linemen. Chris McIntosh, being a lineman, being a former lineman, I have to think that part of the stuff that drove McIntosh crazy was that the Badgers didn't have a good offensive line anymore. They haven't had a good offensive line in years. And the fact is the Badgers got stale and their brand needed a refresh. And in enters Jim Leonard at probably the right time. If you talk to people, there were rumors about this happening at the end of the year and they were gonna let Leonard be the long-term successor. It makes sense for Wisconsin to do this right now. I understand that the players... It was an emotional gut punch, right? But you go to Northwestern next week. It is not a home game. Yes, you've struggled at Northwestern. Northwestern's pretty damn bad. It's a great get right spot for everybody involved. Bobby Ingram, new OC, he's allowed to do a lot more, you know, with his play calling and he's probably coaching for his next job because Leonard will likely bring in his new guys if Leonard is the coach. He hasn't decided yet if he's going to call the defense or if somebody else is going to. That is still unknown. Then you have Michigan State, who doesn't look that great. Um, they they were a team, I think, that ha- people had high hopes for. Michigan State then lost two scores to a Maryland team that I think is good, but not, not two scores better than Michigan State. I was surprised by that result. And Michigan State only scored 13 points against the Maryland team, Maryland defense. That's bad. Um, so that's even, I think, more of the shocker, honestly. 
Then you have Purdue at home. Purdue's pretty good, uh, but you it's a home game, right? You have two weeks under your belt. Should be good. And then after that, oh, I, be, I believe, I forget who they have after that. But regardless, that after that, you have a week off before facing Maryland. The Badgers are still very much alive in this whole conversation about the Big Ten West. Every team in the Big Ten West has one loss. The Badgers are the only one with two. Yes, that's disappointing for them, but they are still very much alive in anything anything related to the Big Ten West. And if they think Jim Leonard is going to be the guy going forward, let's check under the hood first. Instead of giving Leonard the keys next year, why don't we let him drive us around the block for a few months? To me, with college football, the way money's being spent in college football, that is very smart. Let's also suss out if Lance Leopold wants to come back. I don't know if this is Lance Leopold's dream job to coach at Wisconsin. Yes, he was really good at Whitewater. But is, Le- is Leopold, I said Leopold, is Leopold, you know, that committed to going to Wisconsin? Hate to break it to Badger fans, but he was on that Solish staff that we just talked about with Nebraska. T- to me, it feels like Nebraska would be a more logical fit for him. We'll have to see what happens. And we'll talk about potential options for coaching tomorrow. I want to do that as a full segment. Like, I want to run through the names, run through what makes sense. But they should do this with Leonard. This is smart, in my opinion. Because the season isn't lost. This isn't a lost season yet. Like, they can still turn it around. And they looked lifeless against Illinois. And they did not want to have homecoming. This cloud probably over them for homecoming. And they know they have two winnable games on their schedule. And instead of worrying about if Paul Chris was going to make them 2-5, and five, why not see if some new blood can come in there and you go 4-3 and three, and then you have your opportunity against Purdue to go 5 and then Maryland maybe for bowl eligibility. They can turn it around. This is Yes, they can't get to the college football playoff, but this batter team is not good enough to be in the college football playoff. They're nowhere near it, right? So that's okay. That's fine, but it's the building blocks of the next generation. And if Leonard can start that this year and year one, we've seen it before. Look at Washington State. Washington State had so much turmoil last year because their coach wouldn't get fucking vaccinated, right? Put up a big sting, dug his heels in, all sorts of bullshit, right? And I know they're, whatever, we don't even need to go there. But Jake Dicker took over, Stevens Point K., also a guy who maybe should be considered for a Wisconsin job. Like, he has ties. Like, there, that's a name that I don't know if a ton of people are talking about. But it's interesting to say the least that Dickard has basically, you know, revived a Washington State program that not necessarily was in the tank. But, like, they look good. Like, they look like a pretty significant bowl team. They are much better than what anyone thought, including their own fans. Like, I remember I was talking to a guy who was a Washington State fan, alum, and he's like, we're not going to be that good. Like, we're a bunch of transfer portal guys. And Dickard had them playing ready to fucking go week two, and then they bury a Cal team last week. If they beat Oregon, they're probably going to be ranked. And that's where that Oregon loss stings for them, and maybe they just weren't ready for that. But they're going to get somebody. Like, they're... like that Washington Washington State game at the end of this year is going to be awesome. That's going to be an awesome game. Both teams are really good, and so that's the type of thing that Jim Leonard can bring. Jim Leonard can kind of revive this team. 
This team needs some juice. And Paul Chris just did not bring it. You can be soft-spoken. You can be mild-mannered. You can not want the attention on you. But you have to show a little bit of personality in today's football, especially in college. Paul Kirsch showing absolutely fucking none was part of the reason it got him fired. He did not evoke confidence. He did not show that passion. And I know that every person tried to carry the water for him, whether it was Matt LePay, whether it was Tom Oates, whether it was, you know, a, a litany of names, Mike Heller, another one. Like, and, and like, I respect all those guys, but let's call for what it is. Like, they had a deep relationship with Paul Christ. So they were able to sort of, they defended him more than most media people do. He was in a very insulated experience versus somewhere like Nebraska, somewhere like uh, SEC school. Like everyone's losing their mind that Brian Harson still has a job at Auburn. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe Auburn's like, let's just wait. Why do we need to? If our guys are staying, we're fine. It's crazy that he's still there. Everybody hates him, but he's still there. And that's, but Auburn doesn't see a path that I think Wisconsin does. Auburn knows they're bad. Auburn knows they're not going to compete in the SEC West because you have Alabama, right? You have an Old Miss team that I think looks pretty good. You have an LSU team that all of a sudden, like Brian Kelly's kind of figuring out a little bit. Like you can hate Brian Kelly, but good fucking coach. He knows what he's doing. And LSU was able to snake out a win at Jordan Hare. And so, like, I, to the larger point of, like, the reason this is happening is because they still see an opportunity and it gives them a chance to test drive what they have. And I don't think Auburn's really in that spot. If they're firing Brian Harson, they're going to go out and get the next big name that works for Auburn football. And they're going to bring in a guy who knows how to win football games. And nothing's better than Auburn coaching search, by the way. Because uh, they are as delusional as it's going to get. So we'll see what happens with Wisconsin. I do not think it's a lost season. In fact, I think this breathes life into it. Do I worry about players leaving? Sure, absolutely. Braylon Allen you know, talked about that if you wanted Paul Chris gone, like you're not part of this team was the tweet that he had. And I think about that and I'm like, all right, if that's the case, like where the fuck were you guys on Saturday? Like what happened? What, why, how do you do that after a loss to Ohio State like you did? You have back-to-back blowouts. I'd have to go back. I, I, I don't have the numbers on me. But Wisconsin doesn't get blown out in back-to-back weeks. There are seasons where Wisconsin doesn't even get blown out. But Wisconsin made it easy to be picked apart. Paul Chris stopped beating ranked teams. Paul Chris did not look a tier below Ohio State. He looked two tiers below Ohio State. And that's what got him fired. That's what, this has been a slow, slow burn. And Chris McIntosh deserves a ton of credit for pulling the trigger when he did. And I'll say this, and they had a successful year, but if I'm Greg Gard, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. Like, Chris McIntosh kind of swinging his big dick. And good for him. Like, he should. Your new AD, make the right calls. And so I'll be very curious if he goes with Leonard. And if Leonard's not his guy, maybe he wants to coach the Packers again. Maybe that door's still open somehow to be the defensive coordinator. 
because that would be great. But there's a reason Jim Leonard didn't leave. I feel like this was always the ex- this was always going to happen. So why not pull the trigger now when the time is right and the team needs a revival and there's still that area of opportunity. We'll see what happens. It's it's a very interesting story. A lot more to come. Again, I, I thought the media reaction to it was pathetic. Um, it just shows you the guys who they have relationships with. And because Paul Chris is this nice teddy bear guy who you know doesn't ruffle too many feathers and he keeps winning games, it's like, you got to pay attention, man. You got to actually watch the fucking games, not watch the box scores. Like the Badgers have been broken now for three years. They haven't, they just have not looked the part. And I, I hate being repetitive, but it's, it, it just shows you sometimes what a clown show things can be for certain guys. Uh, Pat Forty's article today was gross. And of course, Tom Oates retweeted it like, so it is the cold, cold world of college football. So, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm reading, I didn't read it because I was like, I'm not clicking into this fucking column. But do you, do you want the Badgers to just go fucking four and eight and just take it? Just take it right up the ass? Like, is that what you're asking? Is you're asking for Bucky to bend over and let the Big Ten fuck you? Like, is that what you, is that what you want? Like, I hate to be graphic, but it's like, that seems what, what Pat Forty would like. So it's not the cold heart. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, it's just not good enough. And the Badgers made a statement today. And that is a good one. And they said McIntosh looked exhausted. I'm sure he did. I'm sure it was a really tough. I'm sure he was dealing with booster calls from sun up to sundown. And let me tell you, I know that Badger fans do not cross streams with Marquette fans, and I'm one of the I'm one of the few that do both. It can sometimes be exactly what you need as a program. Chaka Smart made Marquette a tournament team last year when no one expected them to be. I know Chaka Smart. Sometimes it, the the shine has worn off in the past with other teams, but Chaka feels like he's where he needs to be, and he's recruiting really well. And bringing in guys that are Marquette guys. I think that whoever the coach may be for Wisconsin, whether it's Jim Leonard, whether it's one of the national guys, they're going to do the exact same. There will not be another Gary Anderson. I can promise you that. That will not happen again. I think the Badgers know better. But they are going to find somebody that fits what they do. And it's going to be great. And I I think this is a strong step forward for Wisconsin. And... I think they made the right call. All right, let's move back to the Green Bay Packers. We'll do some star ratings, and then we'll talk about the Brewers. So I, it's like I'll get happy again, and then I'll get sad again. So it's just kind of like – and I wasn't really sad about the Paul Chris thing, but it's like I think anytime you have a team fire coach, it's you got to talk gotta talk with a little bit of a different tone. But let's let's go over the Packers. Star ratings, if you're unfamiliar. Oh, not star ratings. It's, it's golden kegs. Gosh, it's been – that sucks. Um, well, we are do, that's awkward. We're gonna do golden kegs, uh, five kegs, two one keg, best and worst Packers that were out on the field. I can't get away from star ratings. I used it for years. It was a common theme on the podcast every Monday, so I forgot that we went to golden kegs. I apologize for that error. You're gonna be like, you're here at the beginning of the podcast. Like, star ratings? The fuck is that? They used to be golden kegs. All right, so golden keg, five golden kegs. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, the combination of the two were absolutely great in this game. 33 carries, 193 yards. They didn't score a touchdown, 
but they were dominant parts of what the Packers were doing offensively. Jones and Dylan are such a force. And Aaron Jones needed to have the ball a little bit more, I felt like, in the first half. Um, Packers got into a good groove in the second, which will, will make the golden kegs. But it's good to see that they're running the football with a purpose. I, I do want to see a little more creativity in the run game. I think there's way too many shotgun runs with A.J. Dillon. Like, let's use A.J. Dillon uh, I formation, maybe A.J. Dillon on a toss, maybe a, like, a counter. Packers, for some reason, don't run any counter plays. Do you notice that? Like, there are not one counter run for the Green Bay Packers. Like, I feel like they could really do well with a counter. I don't know if that's just they don't have the linemen to do it, um, but I feel like a counter would be a perfect thing for this Packers offense. There, Yeah, there just needs to be a little more creativity in the run game, but I, I, I think that's okay. Um, I'm not going to freak out about that. Like I said, the yards per carry were pretty good. Dylan's yards per carry being at 4.9, where it felt like all everything that he did was up the middle, he had a very quiet, like, 73 yards. Like, he, it was a little bit bruising. Now, granted, he got a little bit of that at the end. But, yeah, I, I, I liked what I saw from both guys, um, Jones and Dylan, despite not hitting pay dirt, and that's why they got the five keg. Five kegs also to Rudy Ford. I Look, no, same week, same situation as last week. You have Jair Alexander go out with a groin injury. Keyshawn Nixon steps up. Rudy Ford takes over at free safety for Adrian Amos, who had a concussion. Seems to think that everything's okay, according to his Twitter account, where he told Leroy Butler, all good OG uh, with the flex emoji. So it must be, must be all right. Hopefully Amos can play against the Giants next week. But anyways, Rudy Ford was awesome. I thought Rudy Ford did a really good job. At the free safety position, he made a couple key tackles um, when they needed to. He nearly came up with an interception late in that game. Uh, I just thought Rudy Ford did the part of a free safety really well. And I know that it's probably because of the quarterback and probably because they weren't throwing the ball around. And yes, maybe if it's, you know, I'm trying to think, let's just say Zach Wilson, you know, a guy they'll face in a couple weeks. If it's Zach Wilson or it's Carson Wentz, maybe they even picked them apart. It's Josh Allen, I'm sure Rudy Ford might, we might be talking a little bit differently about Rudy Ford, but it's also encouraging to see that the special teamers that they picked up, whether it's Nixon or Ford, they've both done a really good job when actually getting playing time. So it's not just special teams guys, which I really love. And I really, I really hope that that's something you can have going forward where it's a deep roster, where if a guy does go down, it's next man up, but you're not losing a ton. I didn't feel like the Green Bay Packers lost a lot without Adrian Amos out there. I, I like Amos. I just don't think he's had that good of a year so far. And maybe Ford highlighted that a little bit. I, I'm not advocating for, for, for Amos to lose a job, but I'm just saying Ford, Ford did well enough. Should put a little, just a little bit of fire maybe in Amos's ass. So I hope, hope that's the case. Other five-star, uh, Aaron Rodgers, second half. Aaron Rodgers, second half was tremendous. Uh, the guy absolutely lit it up. He was so bad in the first half. It was one of the worst performances I think you will ever see from the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. And Rodgers came up and let that thing slang in the second half. Like, he felt very comfortable out there. He was working the middle of the field. He was hitting his go routes. Like, everything was on sync for him. So I don't know what happened in that first half, but you have to give some kegs out to that second half because if it's not for that second half, we Packers lose that game. And so Aaron came to life exactly when the Green Bay Packers needed him to, and I'm very thankful for that. And I hope that's a sign of things to come. Like I hope that second half 
is basically the turning point of this season for the Packers. We joked with the Middleton shot in game one. I said, that's the start of the championship DVD. I kind of hope that the NFL films, as they're doing the, the Packers championship DVD, if they still do those, or maybe the streaming, like whatever, the Netflix or Amazon, like year in the, the football life for the Green Bay Packers, something dumb. It's like, and that Patriots second half is where the Packers offense started to finally figure it out. And then it was all systems go from there. It's kind of what I'm hoping happens. Maybe that's fool's gold. Maybe that's expecting too much. But I, I do think that's possible. Four kegs to Rashawn Gary. I thought Rashawn Gary was an absolute phenom in this first half. He didn't do – oh, yeah, second half he had, a, he had a big sack as well. No, that was the first half. But anyways, Rashawn Gary did have some moments in the second half too. I, I mean, he's playing so good. Uh, he's definitely the Packers' offensive MVP so far. Matt Schneiman wrote a good piece, I felt, on – Friday basically saying every game the price tag goes up for Sean Gary and he's absolutely right like the Green Bay Packers really should try to figure out how to sign Sean Gary earlier than later because it is going to get pricey like that is it's not going to be cheap to bring Sean Gary back and get him a big deal but he deserves it I think he's played so well for the Packers and is definitely one of the leaders of this team and no offensive lineman has really shown the, the ability to hold him down. I'll be fascinated to watch against the Giants offensive line. Now, granted, they, it looks like we're going to get another third-string quarterback in Davis Webb. But you have Evan Neal, you have Andrew Thomas, two young, talented offensive linemen. How do they hold up against Rashawn Gary? But yes, I think if you're thinking about Defensive Player of the Year right now, I think it has to be Rashawn Gary right there with Micah Parsons. Like, I think those are one, too. I think there's going to be a lot of cowboy bias there because that's just what happens. But And Parsons, you could argue, is the reason why the Cowboys are 3-1 and one right now. If he goes out and puts on a show and it's Cooper Rush and they beat the Rams, then I actually think you have to talk about Micah Parsons for MVP. I'm not even kidding. Like I, And maybe, maybe that helps. Maybe that ends up bolstering Rashawn Gary's case that Parsons gets some MVP buzz. But yeah, it's gonna, it might be really hard to beat out Parsons this year for that Defensive Player of the Year spot. But Rashawn Gary certainly is building his case. He's the first guy, this is a good fact, Rob Demosky had some great facts today. I don't know if that's something he usually does, uh, but he had some good ones today. Gary's the first guy to have four sacks in the first four games since Colin Jenkins in 2010. Would not have put Colin Jenkins on my bingo card. Colin Jenkins, massive contract year. Helped Packers win a Super Bowl. Then Green Bay is like, go find your money elsewhere. He did. Found it in Philadelphia. A lot of people were upset. Colin Jenkins was not a Packer anymore. But then Colin Jenkins was never really the same after that contract year. People, people conveniently forget that. That was a definite Ted win for sure. Also pointed out in that that Kabir Bajab Yilamila had nine sacks in four games in 2001. That's fucking silly. It's absolutely absurd for KGB. Other other four keg, Alan Lazard, man. Alan Lazard had six for 116 today. I felt like Alan Lazard was there for Aaron Rodgers when he needed a big moment, when he needed a big play. Lazard was right there. And I think that's the sign of a wide receiver one. There was a lot of discussion after the game that the Packers don't have enough weapons. And to me, there are two... The two guys who had it, it was Richard Sherman and Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Uh, Sherman, obviously, former uh, Seahawk and 49er. Uh, sure, I just disagree wholeheartedly with both both their commentary because 
if you watch the game, Alan Lazard was that guy. And if you look at Romeo Dobbs, who we're going to talk about here in a second, like those are dudes. Like those are guys who can be wide receiver once. And I think we are just spending way too much time trying to figure out who is the wide receiver one for the Green Bay Packers when really they don't need it. Like they have two guys who can carry the load. They have Randall Cobb, who is as reliable as it gets on third down. And Rodgers keeps looking. They keep finding Randall Cobb open. I have no idea how it happens. But if they need a conversion on third down, Randall Cobb is that fucking guy. And so, the, and Bob Tunyon's going to come back to life. And so it's the sum of all parts sometimes. And also it helps Aaron Rodgers not be so goddamn reliant on one guy. And that's that was a problem with Devontae Adams that people would talk about, but maybe not enough. And this this kind of helps things. This is this is why you get excited about what the Packers could be. So this idea that some veteran receiver would help solve their problems, like who's out there? Will Fuller? Would Will Fuller solve anything? Will Fuller is a speedster, but he's short. He's like kind of like Randall Cobb. Like, what's the difference between Will Fuller and Randall Cobb? Who does he replace? Does he replace Amari Rodgers? Okay, if he replaces Amari Rodgers, is Will Fuller taking back kicks and punts? He's also made a glass, by the way. He gets hurt all the fucking time. So, that it, you know, that's that's the consequence. Like, if you have Will Fuller out there, someone's got to go. So you're just going to throw away a third-round pick? Okay, maybe. Um, and then OBJ is another one. And, yes, OBJ has an ability there. And o- o- OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., could easily be a guy that the Packers look at and seriously consider, but he's not going to be healthy till November. So, you know, he's just doing recruiting trips. He talked about Aaron Rodgers today on Twitter. Now everybody seems to think that he's going to look at the Packers. He had a chance to go to Packers. L.A. gave him a better deal. Um, I really have a hard time seeing him not go back to L.A. Like, from all accounts, it seems like he's going back to L.A. Like, sh- like if Peter Schrager's saying he's going to go back to L.A., Peter Schrager knows because he's – like good buddies with Sean McVay. Like I, I trust Peter Schrager on this one. So I'm not going to get my hopes up for Odell Beckham Jr. at all. Speaking of wide receivers, uh, three kegs to Romeo Dobbs. So we, we I mentioned I was going to talk about Dobbs. I, what an interesting day for Dobbs. So five catches, 47 yards. You could add a lot more. Did get a touchdown. Another good Domofsky stat. Dobbs is the first rookie receiver to have back-to-back games with a touchdown since Greg Jennings in 2006. Uh, Dobbs is also the only fourth-round wide receiver that has put up the yards in the first four games. Marquise Colson's the only one. Dobbs has looked great. The back shoulder catch in in the fourth quarter made me feel something. Like, that is a Jordy Nelson play. That is a Randall Cobb play. That's a Devontae Adams play. That's a Greg Jennings play. Those are the guys who are making those back shoulder catches. If Dobbs is doing that in game four, look out. Dobbs nearly catches the slot fade at the end of the game, which would have won the game for the Green Bay Packers, and they were so close. It was right, right fucking there. Like they were, if he just turns his body a little bit to the other way, he comes down with that that catch. Comes with time. It was it was heartbreaking. I'm glad I don't have to think too much about it. I'm very upset at the challenge that came after it, but at the same time, like Dobbs did his did his job today. The fumble was also not great. I, there are going to be those ups and downs, and Dobbs is ready to roll, man. And I think the more best is yet to come with him, and I think it's going to only get better 
And I'm very excited to see November Romeo, December Romeo, because I think it's gonna get I think it's gonna get to a special place. And I think we're gonna be talking about him with higher platitudes when those when that time comes around. Two kegs goes to D defensive lineman not named Kenny Clark. Uh, man, Jaren Reed, I know Jaron Reed has a sack, but like they they look pretty suspect in terms of a run defense. Like those guys were supposed to be run stoppers. Jaron Reed was brought in to stop the run. He ain't doing it. Uh, it's not it's not working. Dean Lowry, while he had a really solid season last year, uh, I haven't seen it this year. I nothing's flashing off the page that hey Dean Lowry, you know, is following up an awesome 2021 with a great 2022. You have Devon, Devontae Wyatt on your roster. He is a first-round pick. You drafted that guy. Why isn't Wyatt getting more time on the field? That That's my other question that I would have is why aren't we seeing more of Wyatt? Wyatt's an older guy. He's 24, 25. It's, he broke the character of what Green Bay usually does in the early rounds. If you like that guy so much, why isn't he out there? I'll be very curious to see if we see more Wyatt next week and i also would be curious to see what brian gunnikoos thinks because if that's their guy like i'm sure they want to see him on the field more than guys like lowry or jaron reed for that matter so we'll see what changes i saw ross Uglum, i believe ask like you know what would it cost to get star lutele or nadamakin sue you know as basically run stoppers um, Sue being a Packer would be very interesting. That would be like Aramis Ramirez joining the Brewers, like or Jack Parkman joining the Indians at the time, not now the Guardians. Like I would cover my mic and be like, I still think he's a prick. Uh, shout out to Harry Doyle because like I just I don't know cheering for Sue would be weird. It'd be also Jim McMahon and the Packers. That's another example of this. Like just all time assholes who somehow now are on your team. Aramis Ramirez by all accounts not really an asshole. Just he just had big moments against the Brewers, which then in turn made him an asshole. All right, one keg, Elton Jenkins, man, Elton Jenkins. Oof. Seen some talks about moving him to right guard. I don't hate that idea. Put Josh Neiman out at right right tackle. Maybe that's the move. Uh, Josh Neiman has played a really good tackle this year, and from all accounts, from what the Green Bay Packers have said, we're going to put our best five linemen out there. And if they're going to put their best five linemen out there. Elton Jenkins it still deserves to be out there, but it's, I just wonder if the outside's a little too quick for him. You know, obviously, you have Dallas coming to town in about a month. It's going to be a very nasty pass rush. Um, it's years away, right? It's a long time, but still, got to make sure that you're ready for that. And the Giants don't necessarily have a pass rush that I, I, would, I tremble about. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau and... The other kid from Georgia, I can't pronounce his name. I apologize. We'll get there. I'll probably have it for you this week. Like, you got to be ready for it. And so I'll be curious to see if the Packers do some rotating with Elton or they push him inside. And they just say, look, your knee's not healthy enough to be a tackle. We do think you can be a tackle, but we need to bring you in. And they replace Newman, and they go with, you know, Nyman, Zach Tom, one of those. I think Nyman is the obvious choice there at the right tackle position. Last keg goes to Matt LaFleur's challenge. That was fucking awful. Um, I understand that Matt LaFleur gets excited. He gets amped up. But there should have been a holdback guy for Matt LaFleur telling him not to challenge. Like, he should have just been like, Matt, it's not a catch. I know, what you're, I know you're fired up. I know Aaron Rodgers is telling you to do it. There's no way they're going to rule this a touchdown. If they had ruled it a touchdown, do I think it gets overturned? <sighs> Probably. Um, 
So who knows? But I'm very mad at Matt, at Matt LaFleur. Like that just can't happen. Uh, that basically cost the Packers 40 seconds off the clock as the Patriots basically played not to lose, pinned in their own end zone. And had the Packers had that 40 seconds, had that timeout, they could have won that game in regulation, which would have definitely saved the legs. And we'll just have to see how it affects them against the Giants. And I think that's that's a big, big barometer, right? Big talking point is like they played a five full quarters and that works the Giants' favor, even if they are completely beat up. All right, let's finish up today's show by talking about the pathetic Brewers. Wow, what a fucking weekend for the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers had the ability to basically keep pace with the Phillies. The Phillies did lose twice this weekend. They lost Thursday to the Cubs. They also lost the Nationals on Saturday. The Brewers could have been right in the mix, yet they did not deliver with two stunning losses in the late innings. They gave up a grand slam on Thursday, which we talked about on on Friday's show. Then on Friday, they get a one nothing win, a gutty win from Corbin Burns. And then they follow up Saturday where, again, they're kind of gritting it out. It's not pretty. Edward Cabrera looked awesome. They pulled him out of the game. Brewers can't really capitalize. They, they do come back. They do take the lead 3-2, and Devin Williams can't close the door. Gives up two runs. The Brewers lose. Brewers came back on sat on Sunday. Uh, they were able to force multiple extra innings, but then the Brewers lose in the 12th. They scored nine total runs against a Marlins team that has absolutely nothing to fucking play for. It was fan appreciation week. It was a pretty full American family field all week. And besides Corbin Burns, every player walked out to the field, pulled down their pants, and dumped on the field. Christian Yelich is 3 for 46. Willie Adamas can't hit the broadside of a baseball. Rye Telez has been a fucking ghost for two weeks. Either these guys just don't care, they've already booked trips to Cancun, or they're just, they're drained. I'm pretty much out. I canceled on I canceled on uh, Saturday. Finally, I I mean I was drunk, but I was like, look, I can't I can't continue to believe in this team because they had every opportunity, and I hope it sticks with them. Like I, I hope that this isn't a thing that they look at and say, all right, yeah, we couldn't have won the World Series because the Braves, Dodgers, and Mets are significantly better than us. They should look at this and say. We had this ability. We, this was on our fucking doorstep, and we didn't do it, and we didn't deliver. Like they played right with the Cardinals. They played with the Braves. I think they were three and three against the Braves this year. They, I think they were, were they four, three and four with the Mets. They, I think they actually did six with the Mets, and the Mets took two out of three, and then I think we took two out of three. So they were three and three with the Mets. They hung in there with the Dodgers, like. It's not like they were like completely washed out. Like I look at like the Rays, right? I and I again, this is bad by me because I don't have it all on me. But I feel like the Rays have not played well against good teams. They beat up on bad teams. But they really haven't played well against good teams. I think the Rays are a team you can definitely fade in the playoffs if you're if you're into baseball gambling. And so looking at that or just discussing that, like the Brewers on the other hand were like. They got up for those games, but they didn't get up for the Pirates, Reds, Cubs. They felt like they could just waltz right through that. And again, I don't know if that's Craig Council, uh, who I've been pretty hard on the last couple of weeks, 
or if that's something else. If that's just the team's nature and that they don't have guys that are ready to go every fucking night. Cardinals have dudes that are ready to go every goddamn night. Brewers don't have that right now. And I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if that's a coaching change. I don't know if that's a full roster rebuild, if you will. Um, but something has to change, man. You got to figure it out. And there are changes that are coming. I don't know what those changes are. I'm not privy to that. I've told you for a month or two now that I wouldn't be surprised if Craig Council resigns. I, I really do think we're going to get that on Thursday. Jeff Passan reporting that Craig Council resigns in a shocking move. He has plans to move to the Brewers front office or the Brewers and Craig Council have mutually agreed that Council will now be part of Matt Arnold's staff and will move into that front office with the understanding that David Stearns is going to probably join the Mets. And there you have it, right? I think that is very, very possible. And maybe it's needed. It, it, look, baseball, more so than any other sport, has a ton of turnover. Hockey, actually, is also like that. Soccer, for sure. So I shouldn't say any other sport. But at some point, you haven't been able to level up. In a weird way, it's not, a, it's not the same, but it's very similar to what we just talked about with Wisconsin, where it's like, all right, this is kind of stale. Like, yeah, winning division championships is nice and we can sell t-shirts and people get into it. But how do we get to that World Series level while being a small market? Because that's the that's the, the but, right? Because all of these teams that are going to be World Series contenders have major media markets and are getting major money being spent on their baseball teams, whether it's Atlanta whether it's the LA teams, whether it's the New York, well, LA, not the LA teams, the New York teams, there we go. Pearl, pluralize that, Houston. Like, these are all big fucking cities. So they have big money to spend. It's interesting. Houston's GM actually might get fired. I was re I read that. That was very interesting from Rosenthal. Or he might resign because Jim Crane, the owner, is just a fucking absolute, like, needs to know everything. And I'm like, okay, if the Astros guy gets fired, like, Fucking bring him up here. It's wor it worked before with David Stearns. Why can't it work again? But yeah, I, I do think the Brewers need some new voices. And we'll be very curious to see what happens. I realize they're not dead yet officially. Like the Phillies lose out. The Brewers win out. The Brewers can get there. But I can't imagine this Brewers team is going to have any life left in them. I, I think they are they are dead. Like you just you just know, man. It's time. I'm sure, sure everyone will enjoy their... Their vacations, Christian Knowledge maybe gets on TBS or Fox broadcast, does a little media, looks good, talks about the season, all that fun shit. Man, oh man, what a fucking disaster. I know they're not as disappointing as the White Sox, but to get to go, basically like, I, I think the problem or I think where it like really stings right now is the Brewers were basically like out of it for a little bit. Then all of a sudden they creep kind of back in. Okay, here you go. Here's where it turns. And then you just go right back to being shit. But we soldier on and there will be a lot to talk about with the Brewers going forward. All right, that does it for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a long one. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, probably a much shorter show. Uh, and we'll talk to you then. All right, take care of a good one. Bye.